0: Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audio-Visual.
1: Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness explores our relationship with grief, the gratitude for our humanity, and the greatness we attain when we tell our stories. I'm your host. Sarah Shaul. On a spring break trip to Utah, Annie Adams' life was blown apart. Her 15-year-old child was taken to the ER with strep-like symptoms. That afternoon, Zenzi was diagnosed with leukemia and was flown to Salt Lake City, four hours away by car. Treatment began that night with Chemotherapy. Four nights later, Zenzi had a brain hemorrhage. Annie and her husband, Mark, had difficult decisions to make. Brain surgery would only provide a slim chance of survival, and at best would result in Zenzi being left with severe disability. Annie and Mark opted against surgery, choosing to stay by their child's side. They waited for Grandma Didi to arrive before allowing for Zenzi's breathing tube to be removed. All the while, the teen's favorite music was blasting. 800 miles from home, Annie and Mark were challenged as to how to get Zinzi's body back to Portland. Did you know that in order to transport a dead body on a plane, the body has to be embalmed or cremated? This wouldn't suit their desire for a natural burial. So Mark took the steering wheel and brought their child's body the long way home by car. In the time since Zenzi's death, Annie embraces her well of grief, experiencing joy when seeing things that remind her of her child. Pineapples, yellow Volkswagen beetles, and the letter Z. Volunteering her time to help others is a leg on her path to healing. Still, the layers of grief continue to reveal themselves. Among these, Annie regrets not having had the chance to fully support and see through Zenzi's gender transition.
0: Zenzie was in a public high school where they talked about gender. And all of a sudden we get a letter from Z that said they didn't like their name anymore. It started with the name change. So this letter, very sweetly written, this kid had a way with words. And it said, I know you picked this name for a reason. And I'm sorry. I know it means something to you, but I just, it doesn't work for me anymore. I don't like this name. And I was not phased that much by it until I started to have to work on calling them Zenzi. But to help with that, Z said, how about just Z? I was like, okay, that's easier than the whole name change. So I called Z, Z. And Zenzi just still sounded very strange, but I was I'm grateful Z was, yeah, Z was the name that, I mean, Z was how I was able to make that transition. And now Zen Z sounds normal. So I'm grateful that we had that time. Did
1: Zen Z express to you what transitioning meant to them? That's a good question that I didn't have enough time. It was,
0: Z talked about being gender neutral. Didn't want to be identified either way. For a long time, and then we were still there, but my husband, we meaning my husband and I, were still in that thought when Z's death happened. We didn't realize the extent of what was going on at school. Classmates and teachers were calling her and she, and Mark and I just, we felt a little sad that we
1: didn't know that. How'd you find that out? The week after Z
0: died, our community put together we call a circle of love at the Unitarian Church where my mom attends and it what the church was filled and it was a beautiful ceremony, a beautiful achingly beautiful is the term I love now. Um, and we had three or four, let's see, I think there was four people in Z's life who spoke, who said a little. Something the ethos teacher where Z played in a rock band uh-huh. said they them, and then z's English teacher, who they absolutely adored, said she her, and i yeah i'm I, it's a week after Z died I could i anything could have happened it wouldn't have fazed me, and I was just thinking to myself, Wow, I wonder what grandma's thinking my Mark's mom, like everybody's probably very confused right now, except for the friends that knew Z in high school. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was it was interesting and I knew Z talked about wanting to do hormones, but I still have that idea in my head that it was about gender neutrality and not wanting to be identified as either. But that's my naive thinking that I didn't I wish I would have pursued more. Wish I would have had the time. Right. But it was after spring break, I had this on my list. I seriously had a list of like find a therapist who can help with this, with Z's transitioning, if that's the avenue, but even just starting the conversation with the therapist.
1: So you'd only even been in the conversation? Probably just a few months. I mean, it hadn't
0: been, it was the gender, gender neutral, started to wear skirts. um, So just a few months. Just really, maybe more. I mean, grief brain, I get very confused about time now. So it probably was more than that, but that's kind of where I, like, I really felt like the, the two months before were huge.
1: So you were huge. really
0: just starting down this path. Yep, yep, yep. And then the timing of something else that just reminded me of this that was in print was a Grant magazine. Z attend, went Grant, to Grant. Grant High School. Yep. Z was at Grant High School. And the Grant magazine that was coming out right after spring break, Z and their girlfriend were part of one of the articles about happy places. Because they would hang out in the hall, in this little alcove of the hall, out of the way, and everybody would walk by and they just knew the two of them would be in this alcove because it was their happy place. So here's this article about that with the picture of them and their preferred pronouns, their name and preferred pronouns. And on there was she, her, for Z. Oh, wow. So here I have this picture, this proof in writing that that's what... He told the um, journalist for Grant
1: Magazine. I'm wondering if part of the grief around your understanding of your child was this revealing of more information mm-hmm. that you didn't have that opportunity of getting to do some more deep diving.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I wish we could have had that conversation. And I, Mark and I are very open parents. We accepted the very open, yet it's still hard. It's this reality as an adult that you know the hardships. I wasn't a journaler. I wasn't a writer. And I knew just all those people that are therapists and everybody says, write it out. And so yeah. I just said, I'm going to write it out. And then, and I just, and they turned into Z, Dear Z letters. So and now I write Dear Z and I tell them everything that's going on because that's what I would do in the car when we would have our long car rides to
1: drum lessons and I would just blah 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 well that's <laughs> where I think that's that's where we as parents have our captive we have our kids captive is in their seatbelts in the car yeah because I feel like that's when we have some of our best conversations and you're not too. looking eye to eye so you're just oh so there is that kind of yeah, because that eye to eye, like even in the animal world, you know, that's there's something kind of uh, I don't know, like challenging or scary about that. So when, I guess that's funny. There's the safety of being able to have that mm-hmm. conversation when you're not eye to eye. Yep,
0: yep. And that was a big parenting tip I took early on.
1: We're curious to hear from our listeners. Do you have thoughts or reactions to something you heard in this episode? Or maybe you have an idea for grief, gratitude, and greatness and would like to share some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Links to contact us can be found in all the usual places or check the show notes. So you were on spring break vacation with other families, right? The goal was to camp Mm -hmm. and the weather
0: that spring break was snowy. We were going on a little tour of hot springs. So we started in eastern Oregon. We were going to travel, drive, and just go to these hot springs, meet up with our friends in Idaho. But it was really snowy. So we had to stay in a hotel the first night outside of Burns. Needless to say, it was the spring break from absolute hell. Sure. Because of the snow, too. And we did camp one night outside of a hot springs in Idaho. Yeah, our destination was St. George, Utah. Okay, and that's very southern Utah, and we made it. And Z woke up that morning not feeling well at all, and there wasn't any indication prior to that. Well, really well, thinking back, and our uh, what uh, our friend that we were with, she thought it was um, strep throat or mono. Yeah, and then that Monday morning, Z couldn't stop throwing up. so we had to get in the car and just make it to our final destination and again we just thought viral i mean just didn't really what we learned about leukemia is it can two weeks all of a sudden could just present itself if you would have done a blood test two weeks before it would not have been there really it's that fast and that it just presents itself with a lot of other symptoms and and Zenzi had allergies so even just the tiredness it's the end of march
1: it's it just felt oh, yeah. like a 15-year-old, like, just... Yeah, they're all tired anyway. T- yeah, exactly. they, Yeah, and I have so, a kiddo who's got pretty intense allergies. So, like, March is a tough time. It is, yeah. And I just was,
0: I, of course, you know, I could beat myself up till the cows come home just thinking about the the symptoms that I feel like I might have missed or that it wasn't normal. But St. George, they would not, they said you need to get to the closest children's hospital, which was either Vegas or um, Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. I just asked them, well, if this is your child, where would you go? And hands yeah. down, Salt Lake has a very good children's hospital. So they, yeah, they got us onto a ambulance to the airport. airport got in a fixed wing plane. Z and I and three um, three staff. Yeah. Um, and I will never forget the young man who was actually training and volunteered to come with us, just sat and talked to Z the whole time because I was sort of, I had to be strapped in. Oh, yeah. So, and then ambulance to the hospital and they were ready for us. And it was just, yeah, I could. Now I look back and I, I felt the urgency, but I still, there's an 85% success rate with the therapies now in place for leukemia. Yeah. And I, You know, still think that's 85 out of 100 live, but there's still 15 out of 100 who won't survive. And so there are complications that can come up that like a brain hemorrhage that there's there
1: isn't a lot of. Is that is that a complication from the leukemia or from the treatment? Leukemia. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. The blood is the one of the symptoms is the bruising, really easy bruising. And we just had started noticing that. Saturday night before. Okay, and it wasn't even that. So, but still, again, just not. You just don't think your 15 year old is going to be diagnosed with leukemia, especially on a trip. Why do we think it's not right. going to happen on a trip? I don't know. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Because
1: because when you imagine a trip, it's you're not you leave all your cares behind. That's mm-hmm. why you go on a trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: yeah, here we are in Salt Lake. Mark had a drive from St. George to Salt Lake. To meet up with us? Did your friends come along too? Or did no, they stayed in in
1: they Saint stayed. George.
0: Yep, yep. I think we were also dazed that we just not, we didn't know what to do. I don't think any of us really knew what to do. I was just like a robot and could not believe that um where the where we were what we were doing. We were would you say eight hundred miles from Portland to Salt Lake? Is eight hundred miles? We eight hundred miles from home. We have our van, our VW old van that we're driving around with the trailer on the back. Yeah, there we were in the hospital trying to get used to that.
1: When you learned about the hemorrhage and the options between surgery and, and, and then you opted not to do the surgery. I was there staying with Z that night in the hospital
0: when the it was very apparent that they were very disoriented. And the nurse there, I wasn't quite, I don't think she caught it. Then they did an emergency CT scan, and that took a while because the machine isn't on in the middle of the night. So she didn't catch it, but what did you catch? What did well, you know? just he, all of a sudden very disoriented and out of it, but it was the middle of the night. So they finally another nurse came in because he had vomited, and the other nurse came in. And the other nurse was the one who was like, I, I think we need to get the doctor in here right now. So we, they did. She got an emergency CT scan. That took a little while meanwhile, Mark and our son are sleeping um, at Ronald McDonald House, not very far away. Another blessing is the Ronald McDonald House. So I couldn't get a hold of them because their phones were off. Nobody, we just did not, mm-hmm. this was not the way it was supposed to go. Um, so they did an emergency CT scan. I'll never forget this little petite doctor coming out and grabbing my hand. So we need to, we need to talk. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I'm just like shaking and can't believe this and I can't get a hold of Mark. And um, so I finally called the Ronald McDonald house, have to have them go knock on the door. And meanwhile, I wasn't sure the extent of it at that point either. Yeah. So the doctor said we have to do an emergency, get the OR ready and do an emergency and relieve the pressure in the brain. Then we witnessed just the ICU doctors are there about saving and Doing whatever it takes, and then the neurologists are there, and you can see there's a difference in the two because of how they're approaching this. And then all of and we see this, and we witness they're sort of they're having this big conversation about it about what shall we do. And I really got a sense when the doctor, neurologist, we hadn't even seen yet, sits down with us, and he says, "I can take your child in into the OR, and there's a five percent chance." And if I do, gonna be gonna be very disabled. And I could just tell by his how he was talking; he didn't want to take Z in there and do that. He didn't want that. Like, he yeah. would have. He yeah. would have absolutely because he knows that's his job. But I could see that he didn't. He didn't believe that it was. Yeah, and I could tell he probably just really didn't want to have this child lead a life of disability and. And I was just like, how how can we how can we choose this? How how do we have yeah. why do we have to choose this? And all I could think of and there was a peaceful presence all of a sudden that came over me that I've heard other parents talk about. And it was just like, no way would Z want that. And I couldn't imagine watching Z being taken out into the OR where I couldn't even be there and just hold and witness. So We just, yeah, it was. was, You can only imagine. And how aware was he at this point? Oh, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, we. My husband and son had finally had shown up by then. By the time this decision was happening, or a few, uh, probably about five or ten minutes before that. But it was just—it was the three of us and the hospital staff and. I felt out of body. I felt like this is, I'm in a movie. This is a bad scene. And why is this happening to us? And then instantly something just came in and said, why do you not think this would happen to you? Why? Why does this, why would this happen to other people and not me? That's, I just felt that was very selfish.
1: So. You're asking, how can I support the awesome work that's happening on the Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness podcast? Become a backer on Patreon. Your support allows us to deliver conversations that help to dissolve the stigma and evolve our culture around grief. You'll find a link to contribute via Patreon in the show notes. And if you have something valuable to offer our listeners, let's talk. We'd love to invite you to sponsor the show. When it was
0: evident that Z was going to die from the brain hemorrhage, we sat, Mark was on one side of the bed, I was on the other, and Ben was usually standing up. um, And Ben couldn't even, wasn't able to hang in there the whole time either. He just was, I think, just being 19, barely 19, and he went down and slept in the van for a while, which makes total sense. Doctors came in and out. there There was a social worker was another angel sent to us. I'll never forget that man. And he wasn't our normal social worker who we'd been working with. So, but he knew, he just, yeah, there was a knowing that he was meant to be with us too. And then we decided, as we're all waiting, I mean, it was hours and hours. And we just started to play some of Denzi's favorite music. Denzi loved, loved, loved Avenged Sevenfold. A metal band. A metal band, now that I've discovered, has a heart and a soul. Yeah. They're amazing. And the drummer, Z was a drummer, and the drummer that Z idolized was the Avenged Sevenfold Drummer but had died in 2009, I believe. And come to find out that Zenzi was writing letters journaling to Jimmy, the Rev, the drummer. Wow. And Dear Jimmy... And then I didn't find this out till after I was writing Dear Z letters.
1: How'd you find out?
0: Uh we when we finally had the energy, we looked at some of Z's writings. Yeah. And would just share the just share with Jimmy. It was a if oh my gosh, do they have this soul connection? Do they something? Like it was I just chills. But so we played um music for Z, some of the favorites that and we got to play him pretty loud for a ICU. It was, yeah, my mom got on the plane and got to us, and we waited for her before we had them take the tube, the breathing tube out, and just held Z's hand. And so there were things I wish that we, I would have thought about more. And that was even how long to stay with the body after I mean, you're in the hospital. It's just so tricky. But since I've done a lot of research on, Death and dying, and a book given to me was called "Reimagining Death." Yeah, and I, yeah, and I, and so had I known, or had I had time to think about it, I really would have insisted on alone time, the
1: Yeah,
0: family time. I would. Have, I wish I would have. But I was so obviously exhausted, actually, uh, numb. I couldn't think straight. So. I'm not beating myself up, but had I known and thought about it more, then. But I even contacted the woman who wrote that book, Reimagining Death, and I told her our story on getting Z's body home, and she likened that to a, to a um, vigil with the body.
1: Because well, tell me, tell me, <laughs> tell me more about that. How did you get Z home?
0: We realized that we had a rocket box with us, a rocket box or the storage unit, storage things that people put on top of their car for camping. Yeah. and Yeah. We were, we had a rocket box with us. And lo and behold, you can fit a six-foot person in a rocket box because mm-hmm. we thought we were going to have to rent a U-Haul and do dry ice. And then we realized we've got this van. We have a—it's a boat trailer. Mm-hmm. You put a boat on and a rocket box, and our friend who was about Z's height got in that rocket box and fit. I mean, it's crazy. Like, nobody, when we first discussed this, I was like, that's absurd. But we had this these tools, and we, they, Mark and two friends um, picked up Zen's body, and they, but before that, they smudged. Mm-hmm. They went to this beautiful park in Salt Lake, and they did this ceremony around the rocket box, around anything that went in the rocket box. They smudged it. They blessed it. They, Their intentions were so great. And it sounded like people around them, it's almost like they could feel, nobody said a word, nobody asked a question, but everybody went by with reverence and could tell something big was happening. They had no idea. But um, And I'll never forget them, the three Mark and his friends, that went and picked up the body and the look on the the man's face who ran the funeral home when, they, when he realized what they were talking about, putting that body in the rocket box. But you can drive a body across state lines as long as you have a signature. Now, I can't do that justice, so I won't even begin, but there are pretty easy protocols. They were able to
1: drive Z home that Monday. Just the image of this vehicle on the highway and i just I just imagine like all these you know I, I think about like you know, like when people have the like just married, you know, and they're driving their cars with the just married and the cans and streamers, and you know, and everyone acknowledges that, like to me that like you say that reverence of preparing the rocket box and the was it a did they drive all in the same vehicle, or were there mm-hmm. as a caravan no so there was a, they were so, in the same car, but just or even you know, like a hearse, you know, just the the mm-hmm. way people just kind of, it gives us this pause and I'm, I'm sure nobody had any idea what was going on. But in my mind's eye, there was just something so, and I'm not even religious, but like holy about just this vehicle traveling with, you know, the, and, and Senzi being elevated to the top of the vehicle, right? <laughs> no, like almost ac- on
0: the trailer in the back. Okay, Because it was a, BW bus, so you can't put a lot on top, but we had this trailer, and the rocket box sits on the trailer. And, I mean, Mark was just, like, looking in the viewer. The wind was blowing so much when he, they started to drive. He's like, "Holy, oh, my goodness. But he said at one point these semis were surrounding him. It was almost like the semis were helping him go. Oh, wow. And he could see in the rearview mirror, and that rocket box was not moving, even though the whole car was shaking he said it, there was some other force watching them. Like, it was unbelievable. 20 hours, driving home, and they, you know, of course, yeah, there's just stories of, like, having lunch, you know, like, we got to make sure we can watch the Rocket Box, you know. So, there's just a lot that went into that, but I was not going to embalm my child and put him on a plane, and I just no way so we just kept at it we had great help and support from our friends we were with and they one one family have been involved in a natural burial cemetery up in Econi Ranch in Washington or it's outside of but it's attached to the ranch so I had known about this um, burial grounds and I thought that's where I, Z would want a natural burial but then I remember oh wait Z loves Portland loves it so There is a lovely natural burial here, place at Riverview. Yeah. So that's, we have a view of Mount Hood, and it was a joke, you have to find humor, but open cask or open basket. It's a lovely weaved basket that the body then is wrapped in shrouds. And I mean, fire always scared me as a child, and I couldn't imagine sending Z into that to be cremated that wasn't none of it's a pretty decision to make
1: Mm
0: -mm. we just did what spoke to us
1: thank you for listening in to this episode of grief gratitude and greatness we appreciate you following the work we do and would love it if you'd share us with your friends and family your recommendation helps us reach more ears and build upon the work we're doing
0: It started with even just reading near-death experience books and finding a little hope there that we don't just pff, go to know it work. Like, where is he? Where where what is this? Um and I was blown away by near-death experience books. And one thing we were able to do in the beginning was actually read, read about death and dying, and we just absorbed books because nothing else was appealing. Um then one book that we were um given was healing after loss by Martha Hickman and she her 16-year-old daughter died on a family trip in a horseback riding accident and so Martha made this book and it's just a daily reflection very simple because she knows and especially in the right after the loss how numb you are and you can barely remember anything so she just gives these little anecdotes but she also talks about how a couple weeks before her daughter died, her daughter said a few things like, well, mom, when I die or if I die or something that Martha looks back on and was like, it's like her soul knew. Did her soul know she was going to die? Why did? And I've heard this other stories, especially with kids and teens, little indications. And for us, it was two weeks before Z died. My husband had given Z the task of writing on our whiteboard in our kitchen that we used to keep track of what people were doing what the family was doing for the day and started then turning into quotes once Ben left home and there wasn't as much to keep track of and so the quote Z put on two weeks before they died was Albus Dumbledore quote it is the unknown we fear in death and darkness nothing more so two weeks before I'd forgotten all about that till I got home from Salt Lake I read that and I just fell to my knees just sobbing. Like, what? Why? Is this just a reminder to us? It is the unknown we fear in death and darkness, nothing more. The direct hope from Alice Dumbles are tad different, but Zenzi's version is better. <laughs> and the kid loved Harry Potter so much. So, yeah, so things like just reading Healing After Loss every single day, every single morning, we still read that. And she gives hope that it's going to get better, but you have to intentionally grieve. Recently, we found the energy to volunteer at Camp Aaron, a grief camp for kids put on through Providence. My husband and I both did that. Powerful because they talk about grief. They encourage children to talk about grief and their loved one that died and not just stuff it somewhere. And I started volunteering at the Dougie Center. I'm a, uh, I am help with the adult support group while the siblings of their children that died are in their support group, mm-hmm. and then I've also my husband and I are starting a Helping Parents Heal is an organization, nationwide organization that helps parents heal. And there's no there's no um, regular meetings in the Portland area, so we're starting regular meetings for Helping Parents Heal, and in hopes and just of connecting with other parents. Do you think
1: connecting is like the number one for us? Um, finding
0: people who really understand that um, the death of a child is of any age is just not what it just is so out of the norm. And not really though, because it does happen a lot.
1: And but it's not what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. We we are not supposed to outlive our children. Mm-mm. Nope. That's, and that's yeah. that's the that's the thing we bought into, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did yeah
0: it's just finding the beauty where I can finding the peace and the joy and embracing
1: Z's friends they're huge help huge help Grief Gratitude and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual in Portland, Oregon this episode was produced and edited by Jack Saturn and me Sarah Shaul the music was by Samantha Jensen Visit us online at griefgratitudegreatness.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at griefgratitudegreat. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a review. Your feedback helps our show and helps us find new listeners. If you have a story of your own that you'd like to share, or topics you'd like to hear more about, we'd love to hear from you. Call or text our show at 503-454-6646 or send us a message via the contact link at griefgratitudegreatness.com. Be sure to let your friends know about us and join us next time. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you.